Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Um, we are at the moment in the book of Luke, going through that over the next uh, few weeks, few months. And uh, today we're moving up into chapter 3, so perhaps, uh, Kath, if you want to throw that image up there behind me. There it is. Have a look at that image. It's pretty strong, isn't it? That guy's got a very direct and confronting message that he's uh, rolling with there. He's not really mincing his words, is he, when he sort of holds that placard up like that? Now, I'm not advocating that approach, so don't get me wrong thinking, am I, am I leading the church in that direction? No, I'm not, I'm not advocating that approach. In fact, I probably don't think there'll be too many contexts where that sort of approach would work. But having said that, having said that, we must also understand that there is a very unsettling element of the Gospel. It's not the primary part of the Gospel, but nonetheless, it's an important aspect of truth that we cannot avoid about the gospel. And that is that the judgment of God is a reality. It's a reality. It's good for us, and it's vital that we hold it in our minds as we think about God and think about those who are around us, that we understand who God is and uh, the realities of his judgment. We're going to look at that today as we go into Luke 3 with John the Baptist. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, go to Luke chapter 3 now, and we're going to read from verses... Uh, 1 through to 20. Starting at verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, Then what, should, what then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptised and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorised to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? 
And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming is might but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Amen. Father, we thank you today that we can gather around your word. We pray, Lord, today as we just open up this passage here and now with John John the Baptist, we ask and pray, Holy Spirit, please open up our eyes to the truth of your judgment. Please open up our eyes to the truth of your justice that is searching and uncompromising, but gloriously beautiful to see take place. Help us, Lord, today as we wrestle with this passage and wrestle with some of the difficult elements that are here in this passage. Uh, We ask and pray that through this, Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be shown to us who has saved us from this judgment that is coming. Father, we ask that now and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're building a picture of Jesus Christ here through Luke, uh, through his writings, as he writes here to Theophilus here in this book, uh, that he's written to his friend Theophilus. He's giving to Theophilus and us certainty about all the things that have been fulfilled and accomplished through the life of Jesus Christ. That's why Luke is writing this for us. Uh, So far, a couple of weeks ago when we started here, we saw the birth of John the Baptist uh, and Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah was John the Baptist's father. The prophecy of what God was going to fulfil here now through uh, this birth of John the Baptist and also the Saviour Jesus coming. And then last week we saw the birth of Jesus Christ where the angels announced good news of great joy that a Saviour is born. We looked at that over the last two weeks, but now we step forward, as it were, 30 years down the track uh, to the launch of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, in the prior 30 years, beyond his birth, we only see like one little snippet of Jesus at the temple, and that was back uh, in Luke chapter 2 as well. Uh, The Holy Spirit has seen fit that we don't need to know any more about Jesus' life other than just maybe that one snippet when he's 12 years old, now to the point where he starts this ministry at the age of 30. But before Jesus launches into his ministry, God has another plan in place. And that plan is that a messenger comes first to prepare the way for Jesus to come. A messenger who will be the last prophet, as it were, of the Old Testament at this time. So today with Luke, uh, we want to see here this, this picture of John the Baptist and the role that he played here in God's grand salvation story culminating in Jesus Christ. And here's our big idea for today as we think about that. It'll be this. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus through a warning of judgment before that great day of the Lord. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus through a warning of judgment before that great day of the Lord. Uh, So what role does God give to John, John the Baptist? What part does he, that is John the Baptist, play in God's grand story of glory here as we see it in Luke? 
Who's John? John's a messenger of God. Look in verse 2. We'll just throw that up for you there. It says there that the word of God came to John in the wilderness. John is a prophet of God. He's a mouthpiece for God. God's way of speaking to people in the past was to go through chosen people and to use their voice and their mouth as a mouthpiece to give God's word to the people. That's who John was. Hebrews 1.1 actually confirms that for us. Hebrews 1.1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is who John is. In actual fact, he's the last prophet of the Old Testament. John is the last mouthpiece, as it were, of God delivering his words for his people under the Old Covenant. Even though he's appearing in the New Testament book here of Luke, he's actually still an Old Testament prophet. Because at this point in time, they're still living under the Old Covenant. The New Covenant in Jesus Christ isn't opened up until Jesus' life, death and resurrection has taken place. So they're sort of living in this perhaps slightly in-between stage, but more Old Testament side of things. And this is the way God has always been communicating with his people in that Old Covenant, that Old Testament through prophets and giving his word to them and they would translate that word on. But it's different though for the New Testament. We don't have that today. We don't have any continuing voice of authoritative prophecy today in God giving us his direct word by someone saying something and that's, that is God's word in an authoritative way. What we have today is the new covenant here in the Bible. Between Genesis and Revelation we have the complete word of God. There is no fresh word of God. There is no new word of God. There is the given word of God we have for today. So John, the last prophet here of the Old Testament, comes in the spirit of Elijah. We saw that a few weeks ago where he, uh, Malachi spoke about the spirit of Elijah would come. And that, who's, that is who John is. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah was another Old Testament prophet uh, who was ordained by God to be God's spokesperson. Uh, With Elijah, we get this picture of him. Uh, He was a very deeply convicted man in the ways of God. Uncompromising was uh, was Elijah. He was wholly dedicated to God. Elijah lived in the wilderness and lived a life perhaps of solitude with God as well in the wilderness when he was uh, back a few hundred years before John the Baptist. Uh, This was the unique and particular role uh, that God had given to Elijah at that time. Now, not everybody will be called to that role to live such a unique life like that. But Elijah was. John comes, John the Baptist comes, uh, similar to the prophet Elijah. Now Ruth read for us before from Matthew 3. We'll just pick up another verse here showing us a bit of a picture of who John the Baptist is. It says there in verse 4, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. By all appearances, if we saw John the Baptist today, and certainly if one of my daughters had brought him home one night to have a meal with us, I'd say, excuse me, sweetheart, can we just have a bit of a talk over here about this guy you've just brought home? He's wearing a camel's goatskin and he eats locusts and honey. Probably not the sort of guy you might want to meet. He might look like a fairly rough sort of a looking character. But this is who John is. This is the role that God has uniquely and specifically given to John here. And it's only going to be a short role. He's not going to have a long ministry because he's going to have a fairly uh, harsh ministry, as it were, to bring. 
And the scholars say that his ministry probably only lasted six or 12 months before he was beheaded by Herod. So it was only a short-term thing. What was John's role? He was a voice, as it were, crying out from the wilderness. And actually what John was doing here, he was speaking into a wilderness of spiritual darkness and spiritual barrenness at that particular time in the land of Israel. A people who had wandered far away from God and far away from God's ways as well. He came as this prophet speaking in the wilderness. And what was his purpose there? Luke tells us in verse 4 to 6, he says there this uh, quotation out of Isaiah, uh, that John and the spirit of Elijah was preparing a way for the Lord to come, making a path forward. John was proclaiming a message that the Lord was coming. God was coming. He says, Mark, make all the crooked paths straight. Fill the valleys, level the mountains, smooth out the rough places and make a clear pathway for the Lord. The Lord is coming, John's saying. I'm preparing a way uh, as his messenger. John the Baptist is a prophet preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's his message? What is John the prophet speaking here on behalf of God? What has God given to John to share with the people at this time? John's message was a message of judgment. God's judgment. Have a look in verses 7 to 9 with me as he addresses the people. They're flocking out to him and they're coming to see him. A bit of a strange sight. But he says this in verse 7. He said, therefore to the crowds... They came out to be baptised by him. He says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not the most positive message going around. Not the most uplifting thing to hear if you flocked out to see John the Baptist. Now, I'm not here to make light of this message at all because this is exactly what God has given John to say at this time. And we have this today in the inspired scriptures before us. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to see here Uh, today as we read through Luke. You see, God knows what is best suited to wake people up from their spiritual deadness. And often, often judgment was a familiar message from a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament as Israel waxed and waned, as it were, through spiritual barrenness and spiritual deadness. They needed to be woken up to the reality of God's judgment. Even here at the start of this chapter, and we read out some of those names, these are people who are enemies of God at this time, contributing to this spiritual barrenness and spiritual deadness. All of these guys, we saw there Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Licinius, Annas and Caiaphas, all of these were opposed to who Jesus Christ was and what he was coming to do. Uh, the Roman Empire was led by the, uh, the Emperor Tiberius Caesar at that time. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor in that land of Palestine, opposed to Jesus Christ, opposed to the gospel. Herod, Philip and Licinius were the Jewish monarchy 
that were sort of ruling in different quarters or different sections of Palestine at that time. The monarchy was opposed to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests also, if you read through the book of Luke, were opposed to Jesus Christ and the gospel. They did all they could to take him down. You see, Israel at that time, for spirituality, it was formal, traditional and dead towards the person of God. God wasn't the centre of their lives. They didn't worship God with a fervent love and a fervent desire to see him to be the most glorious thing in their lives. That's not where Israel was. The priests, through Annas and Caiaphas and the whole priesthood, were corrupted by a love for money. And they needed that to support their lavish lifestyle as sort of the socialites of the Jewish community of that day. And they gladly put the squeeze on the rest of the Jewish community to support their lavish lifestyle uh, by putting pressure on them to give more money to the temple, as it were. And really it was going to line their own pockets. In this place of spiritual deadness, spiritual barrenness, total lack of love for God in truth or reality... God's word for that at this time is judgment is coming. Flee, John the Baptist says, flee from the wrath that is coming. The axe, the axe of God's judgment is at the root of the tree to remove this tree from my presence and to put it in the fire to burn it. God is a just judge and he will make all things that are wrong Right. There is a day that God has set aside when everybody will be judged. Every word, every thought, every action will be judged by a pure and holy God. Nothing will escape the judgment of God. What do we make here of God's judgment when we read that and just stop and just reflect on it for a bit? How do you respond to a message here of God's judgment through John the Baptist as he delivers that? What sort of responses come in your mind as you think about those things? Maybe this is your first time in a church and to hear of God's judgment unsettles you. It disturbs you. It sort of knocks you off balance. You're sort of not ready for it. You never thought of God being a judge. I always thought God was this sort of loving grandfather who just loved everybody and never was going to be harsh or never was going to be you know, judgmental towards anybody at all. Maybe you thought that. The Bible completely tells us that God is perfect, that God is pure, that God is holy and God is just and God is gracious and God is good and God is loving. Is all of those things. But still, this right and, good God, uh, right and good character of God's justice, it is unsettling for us when we read through that. Flee from the wrath that is coming. Strong words. Maybe if you're a Christian, you're thinking, yeah, I sort of get to those parts of the Bible and I just sort of step around them. I don't really want to sort of read that and try and think on it. We just sort of get to that, okay, I'll just go around and I'll just keep going on. Maybe. It unsettles us. It sort of stops us in our tracks and maybe takes a bit of wind out of our sails when we read that. You see, we've got to see that God's justice is a good thing. A very good thing. Not a bad thing, a good thing. Because aren't we drawn to someone 
who justly does what is right. We're attracted to someone like that. Someone who who upholds the cause of rightness and doing things the right way or someone who calls out wrong and holds it to account, we're drawn to someone who actually wants to fly the flag of we've got to do what's right here, we've got to do the just thing. Think about this week, even what we've seen in the news this week of that young lady who was uh, raped in Parliament House by the parliamentary staffer this week. Don't we all long for justice in that situation? Isn't there something within us that says, no, that's not right, we want to see justice done. We actually are drawn to justice. There's something we like about that. There's something that says, that's right, that's true, that's good. And this is precisely what we see in God and his justice. God is just. It's a beautiful thing. And we see him deal justly with evil and eventually, in God's timing, rid the world of evil full stop when we enter into a new age in heaven with eternal life. And he does that on the day of judgment. Justice is a good thing. Now you might ask this question here, okay, with given where John's going... Is the judgment of God then a primary part or the dominant element in the message of the gospel to the world? In other words, is that how we should open up? Is that how we should talk to people first? Let's go straight to judgment. Do we we just start there first? Should we be like John the Baptist and like the other guy who had the image? Should we out there and just be holding those placards up and say, is that the first part of our gospel presentation? My answer is no. That's not the primary element of the gospel. It's important and it must be spoken about and we must never shy away from God's judgment. It's a really important aspect of who God is because it is right, it is good and we don't need to make excuses for God's justice. We don't run away from that but it's not primary. And in fact, if we think that God's judgment is uncomfortable, I suggest we need to go a bit deeper in our appreciation of who God is if we don't think his justice is right. We probably need to get a bigger revelation of who God is to actually see his justice within his character and we see it is great and is good. It's not the primary element, but some people, though, will be drawn to that, just like that guy there was. He wanted to stand out in the street and hold that placard. Now, some people, for some reason, are itching, as it were, um, to bring on a confrontation or to have an argument or to just get on the street and yell, turn or burn. Something like words to that effect. Some personalities seem drawn to that. But it's not primary. It's not primary. But this doesn't mean, though, at times the Holy Spirit will actually prompt us in certain situations to make sure we clearly communicate God's justice and his judgment as well. Because we should do that at the right time in the right context. The primary aspect of the gospel message truly is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins and his resurrection again for the acceptance of that death as full payment of our sins and now our justification or our acceptance before God by what Jesus has done. And absolutely God's justice is a part of that message but not the primary aspect. Now at John's time, the people of Israel needed to hear about God's judgment coming. They needed to. And he did. He called them to repent. He said, you need to have a complete change of mind of the way you're living towards God and the way you're thinking about God. Instead of treating God with ignorance, instead of treating God with arrogance, 
Repent or change your mind about who he is and see God as your gracious, loving creator and holy judge. John the Baptist says, repent before it is too late, before God's judgment does arrive. Turn around now, John the Baptist is saying, before God's judgment arrives like a thunderstorm and thunders in your life. Turn is what John the Baptist is saying. You see, this is his message. This is John the Baptist, a prophet of God, preparing the way for the ultimate and final prophet to arrive. John comes to awaken, as it were, the people to the reality of the glory of God in readiness for Jesus Christ before this judgment comes. He's preparing a way uh, for Jesus. Now, John's ministry had a massive effect on people. He was drawing crowds out there. uh, And they began to think, because they weren't sure of the scriptures who the Messiah was, they began to think, ah, well, maybe John the Baptist is the one. Maybe he's the Messiah they've been looking for, some of them. So, John, were you the long-awaited Messiah, they asked. And John said no. In verses 15, uh, 17, he says this, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not unworthy to untie. I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John says, don't look at me. Don't look at me. There's one coming who I'm not even worthy enough to untie his shoelaces. There's one coming who is greater than me, one with whom I don't even compare with this one. He's in a league of his own, this one that is coming. It's not me. I may be baptising you with water, but this one who's coming will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will bring salvation. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit of God when he comes and he will set a fire inside of you to purify you and also to burn with love for this great saviour that God is sending. It's not me. There's one coming. So Luke is saying here to Theophilus today, as he writes this, He says, you can be confident in this, Theophilus. You can have certainty about who Jesus is. John the Baptist was a flame that burned for just a short while. Just a short while. But Jesus Christ is the one who burns forever in our hearts. John only burned to make a way possible for Jesus to come according to God's plan. But Jesus burns eternally. Jesus comes as the ultimate prophet the prophet, on mission to save. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world, even though John's message here is one of judgment. Ultimately, Jesus does does tell us, though, his words will judge us in the end, but his mission now is to save us. Have a look in John chapter 12, where Jesus tells us this very thing. He says this, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. God's word will judge everybody in that last day. Jesus comes as the ultimate and final prophet who delivers precisely what God tells him what to say. And his word ultimately will judge every single living human being. Jesus tells us 
here. There is a judgment coming. But he's also came to save us from that judgment. Here's one of our major troubles, I think, in hearing about God's judgment today. I don't think we truly see the reality of it, and therefore we don't live in the light of it. I can read these words, and it might stop us for a bit, but we don't really stop to think about this final judgment and just how real and um, awestruck it will be. And because we don't get that, we don't live in that light in such a way that actually is prepared for that judgment. Now, praise God that God isn't a trigger-happy God. It's not like God is ready to just pull the trigger at any time to just blow us all up in judgment. He's not like that. God is very, very patient, incredibly patient. He wishes that none would perish, but that all of us would come to repentance. In fact, even in this is what we see of God's demonstration of grace and patience towards us, that he writes to us and warns us that there is a judgment coming. And God sends his only son, Jesus, to bear that wrath in our place, to bear that judgment in our place. And God sends John the Baptist to actually warn again about this coming judgment. All of that, all of that is God's grace demonstrated to us in telling us this is what's going to happen. This is what's coming. Judgment is on its way. Sometimes, though, when we see that, we still just don't get the reality of it. It doesn't actually grip our hearts, this final judgment, and therefore we don't live in the light of it. So how should we respond to John the Baptist today when he issues this warning of judgment here? What should it do within us? How should we respond to this message of coming judgment and repentance in preparation for Jesus Christ that John gives us. What's John doing here? He's warning them that their sins have cut them off from God. Your sinful, disobedient lives before God have separated you from God and you will face his judgment because of that, is the crux of what John is saying here. And it's important to see that this judgment of God is one of many things, many things that is used by God's Holy Spirit to call us to do battle with sin to call us to live holy lives, not to earn salvation, but to live a life in readiness for God's judgment. To not trifle with sin. To not treat sin lightly as though it's, oh, it's nothing at all. You just sort of sweep it under the carpet and you just get a bit of a slap over the wrist, but it's not like that. See, sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. It deceptively gets into our lives and works its way into the hidden recesses of our hearts and begins to destroy us mentally, physically and spiritually within. It's like a cancer that eats away at the inside of us. And here in this passage, John actually tackles one sin here in particular with King Herod. Have a look in verses 18 and 20 with me, where we're told about what John the Baptist said to King Herod. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, that is John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now you might be saying, oh, what did did Herod do? Uh, Herod had committed sexual sin by lusting after his brother's wife at this time. 
Herodias was the uh, wife of his brother Philip. Herod went to Herodias, sweet-talked her because he was lusting after her. Look, you divorce Philip and you come and marry me. I'll divorce my wife and then you come marry me. This was the sexual sin here that um, Herod had committed and John was calling him out on that boldly and courageously and eventually had his head taken off because he'd done that. Sexual sin is rampant in our world. Sexual sin is soul-destroying. It devastates families, couples and individuals. It's horrendous. Uh, Even now, for some of you might be aware, there's a well-known Christian apologist who died about 12 months ago who's just been found out to be living a hidden life of sexual sin over decades. Now, this guy is a really well-known Christian apologist and it's just devastating how this coming out. And the fallout from this all becoming into the light of, uh, the light of day now, um, this horrendous state of sinful affairs has been distressing and heartbreaking for victims, for family and for friends and colleagues as well because he hid this life for so long. And not only that, sexual sin is devastating for the name of God's glory. It's a slur on the glory of God. Now, praise God that there's forgiveness for all and any sin in Jesus Christ, including sexual sin. If anybody has been involved in any sort of moral failure in this way, there is forgiveness in Christ for that. That's what Jesus came to do, was to bring forgiveness through the cross. But in the light of God's grace and coming judgment, our response should be to repent to turn away from any type of sexual sin, to completely change our mind about who God is and to see him as holy and glorious and wonderful and to want to live a life of purity and holiness to reflect that glory into the world. And this is what the Spirit does. He'll use, as it were, parts of even thinking of the coming judgment to help us live in that way, in a pure and holy way. It's a big call today that John makes. Flee from the wrath to come. How do you respond to God's judgment today when you think about this passage? Does this judgment, does it sober you to stop and think about God that one day you will stand before him? That one day you will give an account of your life before the holiest being in the universe? Maybe right now, maybe God is using the reality of judgment just to provoke or stir your heart and draw you towards Jesus Christ. See, will you change your mind about who God is and how you're living? Because that is what John's asking us to do. In the light of this judgment and in God's grace, it's repent. It's change our mind, change our direction of living, change our whole way of life to follow after God and to seek his forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and, uh, Lord, as we struggle here in the heat, uh, perhaps hard to think and hard to listen, uh, Lord, hard to concentrate, but we hear this word that drops on us, Lord, like a thunderbolt. Judgment is coming. Your judgment is good. Your judgment is right. Your judgment is holy. You are just. Lord, today we pray that you will use the truth of your final judgment 
to draw us and to lead us to Christ, to find grace and forgiveness, to find mercy and to find healing, to find wholeness and redemption. Even for some of those, Lord, who may have failed in the area of sexual sin, pray, God, that you would use that to bring wholeness to their lives right now. Father, we pray today, please help us again to see uh, the, the wonder and the glory of your judgment is a really, really good thing. And Lord, you will use that as a motivation for us to help live holy and pure lives that reflect your glory and greatness into this world. Father, we thank you for the book of Luke. We thank you for Luke chapter 3. We thank you for the, the ministry of John the Baptist. We thank you for the courage and the conviction that you gave him to declare what you told him to declare on that day. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us that same warning today to prepare us. Father, we pray, please let your spirit change our hearts in that and draw us closer to Jesus. Father, I thank you for that now and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 